Gail and I went to Tiburon, and that was the first time we saw the Center for Attitudinal Healing. And then we came back, uh, I think a month or two later, and there was a Christmas party. I don't know if you remember that. But at that Christmas party, you had given a little robot to uh, all the kids. And under the head of the robot, this robot actually walked. Under the head of the robot, it said, I am not a robot, I am free. And it had little buttons down the front of it. And under one button, it said fear. Under another button, it said uh, anger. Another button, it said depression, and so forth. And the very simple message was that it is not necessary for the world to dictate our inner climate. And here was what I must tell you the first time I saw it looked to me something like akin to a human slaughterhouse uh, in this room with kids with mus muscular dystrophy and cystic fibrosis, kids that had been in severe automobile accidents, lots of kids with various forms of cancer. You looked around and you just saw this carnage all over everywhere. And yet if you closed your eyes, all you heard was laughter. And I was standing there next to a man who did some work for the center. He was a rabbi. We were talking. And a girl started walking up towards us. Her name was Lisa. She had been a model. She was a young girl, uh, I think about 18. And she'd been in a severe automobile accident. And one side of her face was hanging uh, from the brain damage and so forth. And she walked like a robot. And she had these braces on her arms that grip up here at the top of the arm. And as I was talking to this man, I saw this girl come up step by step behind us. But before she reached us, she lost her balance. Instead of falling like you and I would fall, she fell like a plank and she fell straight back and hit the floor. And everybody rushed over and picked her up and with tears in her eyes and with that slurred speech that uh, comes from brain damage. She said, well, at least I'm getting a hard butt. <laughs> now, these are children in extraordinary circumstances, but all of us have had contact with little kids. And we've seen how they come into the world with this purpose of happiness. They know how to live in the world and still be happy. Now, this is trained out of them, we all know, fairly quickly. But at age one or two or three, four, sometimes older, this can still be seen as a very vibrant force, this single purpose, this, this eye, this single eye the Bible speaks of, Jesus spoke of, in which your whole body is filled with light. For example... And putting my little boy to bed, my little boy is three years old, uh, it goes something like this. Uh, 
first of all, he has to ride his police tricycle into the bathroom, park his police tricycle. So getting into the bathroom to brush his teeth is a game. It's fun. Then he has to stand up uh, on the toilet seat and lean over the sink. He, he wants to turn on the water. And uh, we've got an electric toothbrush, so he wants to put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, and then in it goes to his mouth, and he tells you what's in there. Beetle with ears over here. So you go, you get that. He said, Earth baby here. He said, bad gnats. We've had a lot of bad gnats in Santa Fe, you know. Bad gnats here. And this goes on, and you can tell them if you've gotten them out, and so forth. Being an electric toothbrush, <clears throat> then he has to catch it. Because, you know, it's wiggling very quickly. And so we, we do this for a minute or two in which he tries to catch the toothbrush between his teeth. How many of you people brush your teeth? That sort of happiness. <laughs> now, we're going to make you feel so guilty. <clears throat> then he climbs down, gets back on his police motorcycle, uh, police tricycle, and he goes into the bedroom, parks that... I remember one night he parked it, called for a glass of cold water. He got him a glass of cold water. He set it on the couch by his police tricycle. I said, what are you going to do? He said, in the morning, I'm going to drink the water and make a quick getaway. <laughs> but now it's time to put on his pajamas. So uh, you've all been through this, you know, those of you who've had kids, uh, it's all a game. The thing's a game. Uh, first, uh, you know, they balance themselves. Uh, can you put the pajamas on while they're still balancing? And, uh, or they get the, the pajama top stuck on the head, you see, so only the neck is showing. Uh, did this the other night. His pajamas got stuck there. Oh, he had to go show Mommy. So he went in and somehow he found Mommy and asked Mommy to guess what he was. He said, well, Farrah Fawcett? No. Uh, vampire? No. Uh, ghost? No. Well, what are you? The neck that ate Chicago. <laughs> then he comes back in, and uh, now he gets in bed. And the, the, the sheet now becomes a parachute. You know, throws the sheet up, floats down, goes through this, and say, now, if we go to bed at the same time that he does, because he's got his little, he's a big boy now, so instead of sleeping between Gail and me, uh, as he has in the past, he's now got his little sleeping bag next to the bed, and uh, very close to the bed, as a matter of fact. <laughs> uh, still, it's the wilderness. <laughs> and as he goes to sleep, if we go to sleep at the same time, um, after about five minutes of quiet, he says, Mommy, Daddy, are you sleeping? He said, yes, we're sleeping. I'm sleeping too. <laughs> so all of it, there's, you see, in this, no matter what goes on with these little teeny children before they're trained out of this, no matter what goes on, there's this single purpose that everything on the face of earth is to enjoy even with the kids that are in the slaughterhouse. Everything is to enjoy. Many of the jokes that I heard the kids make there were off of their own disabilities. It was actually a source of humor to them. 
And it was, it was so, it was the difference between what I was seeing and what I was hearing and the, so, and the smiles on their faces, it, was, it took me a while to get the two together. First time I saw the kids there at the center. Now we think, well, that's children. Children, only children can do that. I can't do that. But we do, as adults, have single-minded purposes. Making money. Um, buying a particular object. We'll go all over town looking for something. Uh, we will beat on a door that's closed five minutes early before closing time, you see. Point to our watch. Because they've got the thing that we want, the single-minded purpose. If anyone gets in our way uh, to slow us down as, our, as we go trekking from store to store, then this is a call for great verbal acuity, uh, possibly hanging out the window and all kinds of things. Uh, we've seen this single-minded purpose, all of us, in falling in love. We've seen it in perhaps pursuing a sexual object. Uh, We've seen it in uh, building super health. How many people have done that? You know, Gosh, I remember I used to devote most of my life to being healthy. Would run uh, 15 to 18 miles every day in sand, uh, lift weights, pedal the bike, and see what was happening as I was running. It was shortening all the muscles in, the back of, in my back, and so now I had to do an hour's worth of exercise to lengthen the muscles. <laughs> Reading Prevention Magazine, and uh, even having thoughts of writing those letters to the editor myself, is what, what, what I had discovered. I, I was running in the Royal one day, and I said, half of my life is spent doing this. And then you can see what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> So I know you'll keep right on doing <laughs> This city uh, has got so many wonderful and great teachers. It's got uh, Ram Das, it's got Father Salazar, it's got Pierre Valai, it's got a hundred others. I'm not going to try to name them all. But there's one here that you probably don't know about, and I'm not going to mention his name. You know how Santa Fe attracts these people. This man is an Indian Swami. He's considered a great teacher in India, had his own ashram and so forth. He was uh, Gandhi's physician, and he was Krishnamurti's physician. And uh, somehow, well, actually what happened is that he had a vision of St. Francis. Santa Fe's, most of you probably know, is the holy faith of St. Francis of Assisi. That's the full name of Santa Fe, which has been shortened to just holy faith, Santa Fe. He had a vision of, here's a devout Hindu, he has a vision of St. Francis, and this leads him to Santa Fe. And he's on one of the little back streets. Um, he... Uh, it's very difficult to get him to accept any money for his services. But in going to his house and in having the opportunity to sit in his house and just watch him, I've noticed this same singleness of purpose. Uh, I had never met anyone who I thought was uh, 
an advanced student of truth or enlightened or far along the road or whatever it is. This man hasn't finished his journey by any means, but I immediately recognized that here indeed was one of these people I'd always read about because he was so peaceful and he was so happy and nothing would disturb his happiness. I noticed this time and time again. He held a class for the Sikhs at the ashram and there was a, a woman who came to the class uh, who at the ashram uh, was considered uh, your A-class bore. Uh, she uh, would dominate every meeting and ask endless questions and had an opinion on everything and so forth. Uh, and so everybody tried to avoid her or quiet her down or something like this. Now this man, uh, we'll call him Dr. S. <laughs> I don't want people, you know, trekking over there and you know how that thing goes. Uh, there are a number of people here who know who I'm speaking of, and if you really want to know, you'll find out. You'll, you'll get, get his name. But I'm not trying to present him as anything but just an example. He's right along there with the kids and Jerry Jampolsky and Mother Teresa and so forth. <laughs> so it, I noticed that what he did... I know I'm going to slip and say his name. It's going to be so embarrassing. Um, what he did was that he uh, started calling on this person. And uh, he would make a statement and he said, now surely, surely you have something to say to us about that. And there's this twinkle in his eye and his smile and it was a joke. And, and she thought it was a uh, joke too. And it was great fun. And so it was like he saw her personality, loved it, just like we'd love the personality of a dog or a cat or, or anything. You know, we all have personalities and they can be looked at and they can be loved for what they are without wanting any change whatsoever. And he saw it and he, and he just went right into it rather than resisting it in any way. Would call on her, have her stand up and give her opinion on every subject. And after uh, one or two sessions, uh, this uh, woman was sitting very peacefully in the class uh, and all of this uh, edge had gone out her personality hadn't gone away but the edge had gone off of it and there wasn't this this edge of competition uh, or whatever that seemed to surround her before there was another time that I was sitting in his living room uh, Gail and I were there uh, and uh, at the dispensable church uh, we have a, a woman there who could, conservatively speaking, be called a sexual bombshell. Um, and she's a very nice person, very charming, but uh, just exudes libido from every pore. And, uh, and this is part of her personality, the way she relates to every man and so forth. Well, Gail and I were sitting in the living room, and we looked out the window, and here was this woman coming up the walk. And his wife turned to, to him, to the Swami, we'll call him, uh, and uh, didn't understand why she was coming. And he said, oh, and, uh, she had an appointment earlier and uh, didn't make it and so forth. Well, this might be a, a source of irritation. 
someone doesn't make an appointment, they're coming at the wrong time, and this kind of thing. It wasn't that at all. I noticed that exactly the same thing happened when she walked in the door that's happened with every person I've seen him meet, and that is his eyes light up. He loves them instantly, loves their personality. I thought, how is he going to relate to a sexual bombshell? <laughs> because she came over and she started relating to him. I was shocked the way she related, you know, relates to the men. Well, he got up and he slapped her on the back and he started pushing her, physically pushing her into his uh, uh, room where he does the prescriptions examination just shoving her in there you see and when she and then he was in a few minutes he was shoving her out and slapping her on the back so hard she could hardly stand up uh, her uh, fiance or boyfriend was with her and he slapped him on the back and it was just and I could see that she dearly loved this man and he dearly loved her there was this singleness of purpose which in his case was love just as it is with the little child it's fun just as it is with the children at the center, it's laughter. All of which, of course, are the same thing. And they're wrapped in this package uh, we might call, call peace. It is actually possible to go through life with this singleness of purpose, but if you're like me, you have spent many years training yourself into pursuing multiple goals having endless and diverse and conflicting aims as you go through the day. Uh, it's always one thing after another after another, and it's shifting constantly, and so, we, so it's as if we are jerked around all day long, pursuing first this little pur purpose, and then that petty little aim, and that little goal, and they may only last a minute or two, or five or six minutes, and there is no theme to our life, and there's no grandeur to our life. And therefore, there is no deep and continuous laughter in our life. But life can be gone through like one of those fun houses or uh, house of horrors, uh, you know, that they have, uh, the house of mirrors, uh, you know, all those kinds of things where we have all the unpleasantry of pleasantries of life put in one building. And now this is great fun. It's great fun because our purpose is great fun. Is it really great fun to uh, get into a rolling tunnel uh, that uh, dumps all of your money out, you know, out of your pockets as you roll? But we think it's great fun. But divorce court and all of our money is dumped out of our pockets. Do we laugh at that? Is that or, uh, and you're in the little boat, you know, you're going to the, to the house of horrors in the little boat, and there are these things dragging over you. They feel like snakes and lizard tails and things. You're not quite sure. It's so dark. Uh, oh, we squeal with delight and happiness. But if we are sitting on one of those little benches out in front of the shed restaurant, waiting for a table, waiting patiently for a table at noon, and big sweaty person sits down next to us. <laughs> same sensation. Exactly the same sensation. Do we squeal with the... No, no, this, this, this interferes with our purpose. And uh, the line, the line poised 
to attack us, you know, as you go through one of these things. Suddenly the lion springs up and everything. Or we go into uh, a shoe shop and uh, uh, we uh, get the shoes on, admire ankles in the mirror and so forth. And uh, uh, then we ask a very innocent question to the uh, salesman. Uh, why are these shoes twice as much as the shoe shop in the mall? There's the line about to pounce on us. Irritated clerk. See, glaring. my mother went to a dentist here in Santa Fe. Asked him that same innocent question. Uh, why do you charge twice as much to fill a cafeteria as Dr. So-and-so? He chased her out of the building into her car. <laughs> Happiness is, is actually not dependent on things that we think are so important. How our house looks. How our marriage looks. Uh, how our child behaves. These are things that destroy our happiness, our peace, our fun instantly. We can't get the house looking the way we want it to before so-and-so comes over. Or, or if the, suddenly our child's behavior is an embarrassment to us. Um, or we don't, uh, we, we have to go out and we don't have the right clothes. Uh, or possibly uh, we, uh, we don't have enough money or we don't have... Uh, as the children at the center, we don't have our health. It can be things that seem to be very large or very small. But notice how the peace, the love, the happiness evaporates like so much lighted gunpowder as we go through the day. And notice the letdown that we feel with almost every single event as we go through the day. Now, as children are trained out of this purpose and they start assuming these multiple goals, then, of course, we begin to see this same behavior in the little child. For example, you take a little child who gets to be, you know, three, four, five, something like that. They've gotten a little worldly training and so forth. You take them to an amusement park and you've waited patiently while they do the bumper cars 35 times, you see. Why don't you try the Ferris wheel, we say, and so forth. But anyway, we're going to be good parents for this. And indeed, they have a great time. But as we're leaving the amusement park, suddenly the child is crying and is very upset. And so we remind the child of its debt of gratitude that it owes us. In other words, what we say to the child is, this is not reasonable for you to feel this way, for you to feel this letdown after your birthday, this letdown after uh, Christmas, uh, this letdown uh, after uh, your playmates go on. This isn't reasonable. We actually try to talk them out of it, thinking that we don't do it ourselves. Now, we don't do it in the same way. We don't scream and cry. And, well, of course, some of you, and I'm sure some of you do do this. <laughs> kick your feet and all this stuff. But what happens if, have you noticed uh, at night you have this couple over and you look so forward to this uh, evening and indeed it's a very nice evening and now they've left and now you and your spouse are having one of the worst fights you've ever had. 
Now, of course, what's going on there is that there is this letdown. There is this loss of peace, this loss of happiness. But because we bought our own argument, which we gave to the child, that somehow the child wasn't supposed to feel this letdown, somehow this wasn't reasonable, somehow they should be grateful, we now think that our own sense of letdown, our own uh, slight destruction of our happiness is also irrational, and so we no longer look at it. We no longer look at the little loss of happiness and peace when we finish reading the book. Or if you are a writer like me, when you finish writing the book. Or when you... Uh, well, suicide's the most frequent... The greatest frequency for suicides is on Christmas and on the, and a person's birthday. Those are the two most frequent times. There's this loss. Now, why does it come about? Well, it comes about from two sets of, of expectations. It comes from a, a, a superficial set of expectations, such as uh, our purpose is to have good food and the restaurant isn't serving us good food. I was over at another restaurant, which I won't mention, and there was a couple over there that uh, they were going at their food as if they were movie critics or something, and this, you know, and I, you know, it's just so obvious to me that, you know, these poor sweet people could not enjoy the meal because everything had to be raked over. And why did it? Because this was their first time at this particular restaurant, and they, I mean, I could, we, we were sitting very close to them. We could overhear the whole conversation. Uh, or either that or I was leaning very far over. I'm not sure. <laughs> and this restaurant had been recommended. So they had this expectation. And the expectation, of course, is never met. Almost never is it met. Because it's so detailed. And so we, that's why many people stop reading uh, rave reviews of a movie because they don't want to set this ex expectation. So on a superficial level, there is this uh, sort of ideal that sneaks into the mind. And it sneaks in there every day, every morning. And this is why towards the end of the day we begin feeling a certain letdown because the day hasn't yet... Uh, given us the accomplishments and so forth that, that we wish. And as we look through the day and as, as we actually dissect the day and analyze it, you can actually brush the expectations off of each of the events of your life. It's a very interesting process and it's one that can be done with your spouse. Uh, Gail and I discovered one today because we've recently been doing this. We've been cutting the day up into little pieces, looking at each piece and seeing why it is at this particular time of day do we lo usually lose our peace. And what we discovered today was that when one of us comes home from running errands or whatever the thing is for being out all day, whatever it is, the other person or the person coming in the door usually gives the other person something to do. <laughs> Would you please carry in the 
sack. You know, grocery. I've got some groceries out there. My back's killing me. Would you carry the groceries? Uh, or uh, reminds them of because see, driving home, we were thinking of this letter that hadn't been answered, or this bill that hasn't has the bill been paid. And so we go in the door, and this is the first thing we greet our spouse with: Did you pay such and such a bill? And so and we're already angry about it. Now, what we decided to do was that we would never do that again to each other. We walk in, we're not going to give the other person anything to do, remind them of anything that hasn't been done, but we would spend a few seconds, a few minutes, greeting each other, and perhaps holding our hands, each other's hands, and sitting and just enjoying each other. Isn't this the person I'm supposed to love more than anyone else in the whole world? Isn't this the person with whom I'm supposed to walk home to God with? Can't I give them the gift, a gift with my presence, just like we bring a little child a gift? Can't I give them a gift? I can't tell you uh, how many areas we have been able to sort of go over and see the dynamics of. This doesn't require analysis and doesn't require long going into personal histories and great retribution and all this stuff. It's just a simple looking at the dynamics without any justification, without any blame, without trying to figure out whose fault it is. But just here is how we do this little dance. And we usually do it at such and such a time when the guests have left, when someone comes over, when it's time to put uh, John to bed, whatever it is. Then the little dance starts. So you just sit down. You look at it. You look at it the way you look at the child crying as it leaves the amusement park. Not by trying to figure out if it's rational, but what's going on. A depression is going on. A letdown is going on. There need be no justification. It doesn't matter why it's happening. Now below that, there is a deeper expectation that is thwarted, far deeper. And the movie E.T. is a beautiful allegory of this deeper expectation. I want to go home throughout the whole... How many people here saw E.T.? Oh boy, did you see that? Jerry may talk a little bit about that movie too. I want to go home. I want to go home. And as he began to realize and be able to verbalize in English and so forth that he wanted to go home, then you could see how he looked at everything. The little kid in the uh, Halloween costume reminded him of home. Everything was home, oriented to home. We have left home. We have wandered off like the prodigal son, like the, like the sheep that wanders off. We don't even have a recollection of home much anymore. Except at certain moments of peace, certain moments of tranquility and rest, once again we remember this some place from which we came this mind from which we sprang, and this luxurious, warm field of love to which we will return someday. The memory in most people's mind is so dim that it is not even acknowledged, but it's there nonetheless. 
the man who sits on the bar stool, staring straight ahead, drinking his drinks, is longing to go home. The woman in the carpool, driving back and forth, hassling with kids, climbing over the seat, not understanding why life isn't fun anymore, is longing to go home. Even the baby crying in the night is longing to go home. How do we meet that expectation? We go home a little. Because we've all had the events, the parties, the social occasions, uh, the vacations. How many disastrous vacations have we been on? You come back and tell these lies about what a great time and <laughs> you ought to go there, we say. And we give them the name of the flotel, of the, of the uh, motel that had all the flies. And that's the place to stay. Uh, but there have been the vacations that sang like a hymn, like an anthem. There have been the meetings with people. There have been the movies. There have been the walks on the plaza. There have been anything you want to take it. There's been a moment in which the clouds parted. We walk away from the event and we say, gosh, that was so nice. And we can't really figure out why it was so nice. Because we chose to go home a little. We chose to put up the murder and the criticism and the grievances and the judging and the combing and combing and combing over everybody's face and dress and personality and behavior for faults. For just a moment, we laid aside all of our weapons, our bloody, bloody, bloody weapons, and we relaxed. And we said, just for a second, I think I will see everyone around me as a friend, as a child of God, and not as an enemy. Just in that state of relaxation, it happened. And we went home a little. And the promise is, if we go home a little and a little and a little, we eventually arrive at home. But the ego must be recognized. The ego, you know, is this, uh, it's this little uh, TV set in our mind that always plays soap operas. <laughs> General Slaughterhouse. The little TV. It's, it's like uh, the, the ego looks at our life the way the evening news looks at the world. <laughs> now let's just, let's just look at... I'm not saying... We, we, could, we could talk about magazines or the new news or any I mean I'm not picking but let's just look at this just think for a moment of this shining spinning globe every astronaut who has gone up has had almost a religious experience just in turning around and looking back at this earth think of all the stories to be told just in this day, the lives that were saved, the friends that were helped, the gentleness, the kindness, 
that has taken place in this single day on the face of this earth. The eagle, like the evening moves. Well, what happens? Well, we turn on the set, and there is Charles and Diane. Nice couple. I mean, they're just a nice couple. The picture's on. The sound's not on. I've always wondered why Yogi Bhajan watches TV without the sound. And now I know. It's because the ego comes through the sound. The picture is innocent. This is a little couple. You turn the sound up. They're getting married. You turn the sound up. How big his ears are. Uh, why Barbara Cartland didn't, wasn't invited to the, move, uh, to the wedding. Uh, Queen Elizabeth is uh, jealous. Now, I know, I'm sure you've noticed in uh, Albertsons and so forth that uh, uh, all the papers now have Queen Elizabeth having some sort of bedroom affair, you know, on the thing. doesn't say what it is. Uh, here's, a, here's a president, a new president. Think what a happy event this is, a new president. They're walking down. You turn up the sound, and they're talking about how much more the gallery seats cost this inauguration they did before, so forth. If you think back over our first ladies, think back over them. Jackie and Betty and Pat and uh, uh, Rosalind and so forth. If you think back over them, what do you know about them? What is it you know about these people who spend most of their time helping other people? If you've ever looked at the schedules of these people, they're going all over the country, they're involved in so many worthwhile projects. Rosalind has an eye tuck. Uh, Betty has a drug problem. Uh, the only thing we really know about Nancy is how much she paid for her dishes and so forth. It doesn't matter what the party is or anything else. And I'm not singling out correspondence and people because they, they get caught up in it. And it doesn't matter whether it's the evening news or it's some magazine or it's the little ego, the little ego in our mind. So what happens if we forgive someone the debt they owe us? Her brother-in-law and you forgive the debt. What happens? What does the ego say? It was kind. It was gentle. This is what is ruining America. You are ruining America by doing this. If you drive carefully, if you're just a good driver, what does your ego say? Onset of senility. <laughs> If you stay married over 10 years, no sense of adventure. <laughs> and even TV, you can't even watch TV without the little TV, your ego, coming in, you see. Now what does the little TV in your mind, the little ego TV, say about the other TV? Well, it says, uh, you're safe if you watch only Channel 5. <laughs> I'll, I'll lay off of you if you only watch Channel 5. Do you want to watch Victory Garden? Is this really what you want to watch? 
are the magic of paper pasting. Of course, there are a lot of good programs on Channel 5, but I'm, what I'm saying is that this is all... You, so, you find, so you turn to the, uh, to the, the big bad channels. And, uh, well, I'll throw out a couple things. You tell me if it's okay or not okay with the ego for you to do this. Um, is it okay for you to watch Knots Landing? No. Is it okay for you to watch the reruns of Walton? Yes. Um, is it okay for you to watch um, a science special? Yes. Uh, is it all right for you to watch The Hulk? No. But Kung Fu? Kung Fu. Kung Fu, he, he chops them up with more precision. More precision and, and quotes words of truth as he does this, do you see? This is all right. Uh, Sheriff Lobo. No. You don't have a mind if you watch Sheriff Lobo. Richard Simmons. Now, Richard Simmons can go either way. I see you're projecting. Look at this. You didn't think you projected, and now you're projecting. How to live in the world and still be happy. It's quite simple, but it does take some work. It takes some willingness, especially the willingness to begin. It requires no more than the setting of one gentle purpose, which can be worded any way you wish. You may draw your words from any religion or philosophy. You can draw it from Obi-Wan Kenobi or Peanuts or Kung Fu. It doesn't matter where the words come from, but the words must be gentle, and they must cover everything you see and everyone you see and everyone you remember. A gentle purpose such as, today I will judge nothing that occurs. Now, of course, you won't be able to do that perfectly. You'll forget a thousand times, but you begin. Today, I will judge nothing that occurs. I will judge no object my eyes look upon. I will see no one's past. I will at least make the effort to do it and go home a little bit. Today, I will hurt no one in my mind or in my life. Of course, you can't do that perfectly. But you begin. You try the harmlessness. Harmlessness can cover everything. Forgiveness can cover everything. Children teach us happiness can cover everything. Love can cover everything. And so we begin. We start in the morning. And we remember as often as we can remember. When we look back as we go through the day, we see the mistakes, but we don't dwell on the mistakes. We pick ourselves up and we try once again. Because the world can be worth living, 
our friends can be worth enjoying. And a couple that has come together has formed a permanent relationship can exist for each other's happiness and not for each other's misery. We do not have to be a gift of pain to the people that are around us. But it takes a little while. But the path is so much fun in itself. A path of fun that leads to fun and gives its reward now, not tomorrow.